Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening, Lord. We ask again that your spirit would remain, Lord Jesus. We ask that you would um, reside in our hearts this evening, in our souls. God, that you would help us to hear the word of God tonight. We ask that you would anoint it, Lord Jesus, that it would make all the difference having the spirit of God in our service with us, Lord. We thank you for the spirit of God. We thank you, Lord. We ask, God, that you would bless this time that we have remaining, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can, that's probably good right there with lights, as long as you can see your Bibles. And you can open up to Psalms 46. Psalms 46. Good evening. It's good to see you here tonight. Again, always an honor to be able to come over here. I have four or five other youth leaders that are leading the service with more kids that are in this room right now, over there, teenagers that are over there tonight. It's awesome to be able to, to lead them and to have them over there and to have leaders that can do it if my wife and I are over here as well. Awesome. Well, if you are visiting, my name is Adam. I'm the youth leader here. I believe that Pastor Joe and Ruth are in Cambridge tonight and for the next a couple of nights, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday evening, um, preaching and teaching. They have revival over there at one of the churches with Pastor Sturman Moore. Um, So that's where he is tonight, Monday night, and Tuesday night. So please keep him and Ruth and that congregation and the leadership over there in prayer as they do that this week. Awesome. So you are at Psalm 46. Tonight's message is simply entitled, Be Still. Okay? Okay. Be still. Psalms 146, I'm going to read uh, several verses here, 1 through 11. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even through, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle in the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts, again, is with us. The God of Jacob, again, is our refuge. So be still and know that I am God is really an incredible verse of which many songs have been written, if you remember them. Um, There have been a lot of sermons preached about this scripture. And I wanted to look a little bit deeper in this and what it means, being still. And I've always really just thought of this as, in your circumstance, be patient, be still. Be quiet. God will show himself to you. He will move on your behalf, um, which is all great. But in context, when I looked and broke this down in the definition, what it actually means to be still, 
Um, does it mean that we just simply don't do anything? And in the original text, be still means actually to admit defeat. So it's not just sit there, be quiet, God will move, be patient. It actually means to admit defeat. To let down our hands, I looked up, and it means to give up trying to figure everything out on your own. Letting go of all striving, all of our attempts at being godly in our own strength. So if you think about it in the world, in the United States of America right now, there is a lot of noise in the house of God. You look on TV, you look all around you, and there is a lot of noise that's happening. A lot of jumping, hooting and hollering and clapping, and a lot of it is just kind of manufactured. And most of the time that happens, it's kind of a substitute or it's an effort to compensate for the lack of actually God working in the midst of people or congregations. And sometimes a lot of noise and jumping and clapping and yelling and screaming and this and that sometimes will actually be a substitute and it's an effort by people in their own strength to compensate for what God is actually not doing in a specific body while when we create a lot of noise like that. We even see it in the scriptures with the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18 26 through 29. Again, 1 Kings 18 chapter 26. It says, So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. So then they leapt about the altar which they had made. They cried out, they cut themselves as that was their custom to do so, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice. No one answered. No, pay, no one paid attention. So we see sometimes in gatherings where God is not present, there, we, we as humans can produce excitement. You know, I've been to plenty, plenty of conferences, plenty of events, plenty of other church services, and sometimes I, I, I go to worship, but... You also want to have some discernment as well. So we try to make God a little more obvious or present in our lives when maybe that may not be true. And um, we can get excited, we can jump, we can clap, dance, shout, but it's really because of a need to stir up everything possible in this, this, this like another type of sensory realm um, in order to really create kind of a picture that God is actually doing something. Have you ever come to church and you didn't feel like coming to church? You try to create something. I'm going to worship God even if I don't want to, but sometimes we try to create something where maybe we don't really feel like worshiping God or feel like the presence of God is with us. And sometimes it seems dry. Sometimes the worship and the word is a little more exciting. Sometimes it seems like the whole body here at New Hope is like primed and pumped and ready to go for a Sunday morning. But there's other times where it's very, very dry. And then we try to maybe in our own strength, like encourage ourselves and yell and I'm going to. And it's really because I'm not sure how much God is involved with that. But we're going to try to compensate for our lack of that. In Psalm 74, this in context, this is kind of, if you think about the church of America in the past few decades, it says, lift up your feet to the perpetual desolations. Again, this is Psalm 74. 
uh, verses 3 to 7. And it says, The enemy has damaged everything in the sanctuary. Your enemies roar in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their banners for signs. They seem like men who lift up axes among the thick trees. But now they break down its carved wood. And I want you to remember that this is what God showed me for tonight. They break down its carved wood all at once with axes and hammers. They have set fire to your sanctuary. They have defiled the dwelling place of your name to the ground. So there's this carving going on inside of the temple. Everybody is coming with all of their noise. And you can think about how some of the, you know, the Pharisees and even the people back in the Old Testament and how they would produce a church service. There's fleshly ideas, the human effort that was put into that. They're breaking down, like Psalm 74 says, breaking down what was designed by God. In reality, this deepest work that God does actually takes place in the hidden parts of the inner man, right? This carving takes place in the hidden parts of the inner man. It's not something that really makes a lot of noise on the inside. And the Lord himself even has this truth that he called his own people through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah thirty fifteen, And it says, Thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. In other words, you, you would have found true strength by letting go of all human effort and putting your confidence, God says, in only the work that I can do is what God is saying. That is real Christian growth. I remember Jace's message a few weeks ago. Not just be still. Not just don't do anything. Continue to seek the Lord, but it's about giving up. It's about putting your hands down. It's about admitting defeat. I can't do this in my own strength. And that's when God will step in. So that is where real Christian growth takes place. This Christian life, remember, it's supernatural. None of us can make ourselves holy. I cannot make myself, yield myself to the one who does this, this, this sanctifying work inside of me. So the Lord went on to say in the next verse in Isaiah, and again I'm looking at Isaiah 30, 15, and 16, the second part, but you would have none of it. You said no. We will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. And you said, we will ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. So in other words, you insisted, no. We will continue to try to do this in our own strength. I'm going to continue to try to do this in my own strength. We will form the strategies. We will develop an agenda. We will accomplish what we desire. We will make things happen on our own. And in this society even. We'll take care of what's going on in this society. We'll, we'll come up with a solution with an answer. We'll even come up with a strategy and answer and a solution in the church. Is what the church of America is saying. We'll be fine. We're, we're going to continue to do this in our own strength. And Isaiah 30 17 and 18 says a thousand will flee at the threat of one at the threat of five you will all flee away till you are all left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop like a banner on a hill 
Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, He will rise up to show you compassion. My goodness, even still, when we resist and we say, we'll take care of it in our own strength. Even when we resist. So God says, I'm going to let you run your own course. I'm going to let you kind of... do what you want to do, whatever you choose to do. Uh, I'm going to let, in fact, I'm going to let you go hard. I'm going to let you go fast. I'm going to let you go far until you have exhausted all of your own strength. Until there is nowhere to go but where I am, God says. Nowhere to go except for where I am. And when you finally get there, you will find me, God says, waiting on you. Is what this scripture says. I'm resisting, but God is still gracious to us in verse 18. And he will rise up to show us compassion. God says, I will be merciful to you in that place. Do you not love the graciousness of your God tonight? Amen? So this work that happens is most of the time a silent work. It's quiet. It could be months and years of God doing something on the inside of you. It could be a career, uh, decades of God doing something in a situation or inside of you. But it's a silent work. So how am I supposed to sit idly by and not do anything? How am I supposed to be still in in the midst of all this this noise and all of the flurry that's happening around me, even those and that which claim to represent God? So how do I, like the definition of be still means, how do I let down my hands? How do I give up trying to figure everything out when that's all I've ever done is trying to figure everything out? Anybody like that in here? You just, you gotta have an explanation. Come on, half of you I know. It's most of the time a difference in personality. So, this is kind of an example of what it actually looks like to be still. If you think about the first temple of God, this is the point tonight, that was, that was designed, that was built on this earth for Himself. See, nobody had to figure anything out because God actually specified everything. He designed everything. He told everybody what to do. This high, this, these cubits, the measurements, precision, accuracy, all these things. God actually gave specific detail to David by the Holy Spirit, and then he passed it to his son Solomon. We all know that. So there was specific details. First Kings 6-7 says, In the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone, listen to this, finished at the quarry, so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard with your ears in the temple while it was being built. Are you with me? So it was built outside the temple where people inside the temple couldn't hear anything. It was done in a private, secluded, silent place. Okay? So all this hammering, all this chiseling actually took place outside the temple, maybe even outside the town, the village, the city, and a place in the mountain. And then the stones from there were brought over so that the temple could be built in peace. This is really speaking to me. 
need you to hear this tonight. So now Solomon's temple in all of its glory was this foreshadowing that we know of what was to come. In God's new temple, you and me, right? So we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the dwelling place of God. And in that moment where we make a decision to ask the Lord Jesus to come into our lives and repent of our sins and to make Him Lord, but not just Lord, but Master over our lives, the moment we do that, the Holy Spirit took up residence inside of our physical bodies, just like it says in Colossians 1.27, Christ in us is the hope of glory. So... When you consider and you think about all the hammering that was taking place for Solomon's temple in the mountain, outside that area, you can't really think, and this is where God, I'm telling you, I struggled with this word. Because I have been working like crazy. We have the mystery dinner. I didn't get a five-minute break today. And it's kind of like that being a youth pastor all the time. But I'm tired. And I'm like, God, I don't know. And I started putting it together, and it was about three days. And then I had confirmation today. And then I even spoke to two or three other people today. And I'm like, wow, this is the word. Because it was exactly where they were in their Bible at the time reading. And they're like, we call it expository preaching when you break scriptures down and like really get into the nitty gritty of what it means. And they were all like telling me exactly what I'm preaching. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I thought, well, tired or not, thank you, Lord. Because it's not my own strength. Right, Jim? Amen. So this, this hammering this hammering that took place out in the mountain, I can't help but really think about Calvary and the cross. And when the hammer would come down on the nails that were driven straight into the hands and the feet of Jesus, all this hammering was and this work was done at Calvary, and from there came wonderful stones that would build this new foundation for our lives. From Calvary. So this old foundation. I had a bad foundation. I had a great upbringing with my family. God got a hold of me at a young age. I'm very thankful for that. But in my own flesh, in my own attempts, in my own strength to serve the Lord in my own. I can't. That's a bad foundation is doing that and not, not being still. Not putting your hands down. Not admitting defeat. Not giving the reins to the Lord. It's a bad foundation. So when this old foundation, the old man slowly and quietly just kind of slides out, and it's slowly and quietly kind of replaced by this new foundation that is built on the cornerstone of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's, it's, it's clear now that there is no need, if you look around at the country and at the church, there's no need for all this noise inside the temple in order for God to work. See, all these old things are carried outside the temple, and sometimes we don't even realize what happened. This has happened to me in my life several times. Where I just want to not do this, say this, go here, blah, 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 and, I, and then I, all of a sudden I turn around, I'm like, whoa, God took that from me. I might not even have been praying about it, but I've just been trying to serve the Lord, and before I know it, I turn around, and these things that I've been wanting God to get out of my life, they're gone. But not only are they gone, they're replaced with new stones that glorify Him. 
Have you been there? So, you kind of come to a point in your life where you're like, man, where is that old habit of mine? Where is this thing or these thoughts or these words or these attitudes or this unforgiveness or bitterness or disappointment? Where, where are all these things? I've held on to these things or have been struggling with these things since I was a child. And then suddenly you, re- you realize that they left months ago, years ago, weeks ago, whatever it's been. And it's not even necessarily, like I said, something that you have been praying or fasting about. Somehow just the old stone slid out and a brand new one came in. And it's been placed in its new foundation. So go to 1 Kings 6, 9. God can produce something beautiful. He does a lot of work behind the scenes when nobody is involved, nobody is looking. You are at your house. You're going through something at your job with your family. And God is is changing you inside from glory to glory. So 1 Kings 6, 9 says, So he built the temple and he finished it. And he paneled the temple with beams and boards of cedar. I can't help but think of the cross again. He built this temple with beams and boards of cedar. This speaks to me about the cross. It's like inside this temple, the cross, this cedar. He finished it. He paneled the temple with beams and boards of cedar. This cross covers Everything inside, it covers all of our flaws. It covers all of our failings. We don't have to be condemned. We are the righteousness of God. God's righteousness is given to us from God. And as genuine, sincere believers in Christ, we are now growing in grace and knowledge in the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. First Kings 6.18 says, The inside of the temple was cedar, carved, with ornamental buds and open flowers, all was cedar. There was no stone to be seen. So look, these skilled craftsmen would come in and they would work on the inside of the temple. Just as God's skilled work is continuing to go on inside of me, inside of my wife, inside of all of us here. God's skilled work is still going on. He knows how to take the barren places in our lives and create something that is beautiful and pleasing to Him. He And it says in the Scripture, carving flowers. Well, what are these flowers? Probably fruits of the Spirit. Carving flowers of patience, flowers of love, flowers of gentleness and truth and humility. God knows what He is doing. So we may not necessarily see this work. We may not hear this work that God is doing. But it is continual that He does it. So the Scriptures would tell us that we simply need to recognize how gracious our Lord is when we're changed from image to image and glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. These supernatural things start to happen inside of us, and before we know it, There's this whole flower garden now that emerges where there was once barrenness. And the description continues, 1 Kings 6.19, and says, And he prepared the inner sanctuary inside the temple to set the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there. So this means that the Lord Jesus wants to come inside and not just visit like I'll pray sometimes. We don't just want a visitation, Lord. 
We need you to set up camp. We need you to reside inside of us. You know, we always say that we're going to church to meet with the Lord, but I'm not. I'm coming to meet with you. I carry God with me, don't you? Coming to worship the Lord together. Come to church to meet with you. God's with me all the time. So this continues again, 1 Kings 6.19. We just read, I'm sorry, it says so. So it's kind of when the Lord really becomes everything to us. Nothing left except for our, our will and His will that are intermingled together. So there's a big difference between having good intentions and being led by the Spirit of God. Now remember, be still isn't just, shh, just God will do it. In His timing, in your behalf, be patient. It's not, it's not just that. It's admit defeat. It's put your hands down, take your gloves off, stop fighting. Fighting the enemy is different. Don't fight the Lord and what he wants to do because he doesn't complicate things. We do. So being well-intentioned and, and, and spirit-led are very different things. So later on in uh, 1 Kings, we, we obviously, if you remember the story of Queen Sheba, who came to visit Solomon and saw his temple, and the Queen of Sheba had a kingdom as well. She had servants um, like a lot of people and kingdoms in the Old Testament, she had cupbearers. Um, she had uh, someone who dealt with all the money and the finances. And when she saw Solomon's temple and heard Solomon's wisdom, the Bible says that there was in 1 Kings 10.5, no more spirit in her. So she had kind of seen what God could do in his compassion to the best efforts and attempts as men and women that we have. So there's a majorly marked difference between being just well-intentioned and spirit-led. And we are called to be a testimony. Called to have a story in our generation of what only God can do. It's not a story if we mislead somebody and tell them that it's because we have done or said or responded to how it has nothing to do with us, which is the beauty of it. Because it can all be pointed to our Lord which makes it a level playing field at the foot of the cross. So we are called to be this testimony. And we know that the early church began the way with 120 people bursting out of an upper room. Everybody bursted out onto the marketplace and a crowd of 3,000 people turned to Jesus that day, realizing that all of the prior religion that they had, it couldn't produce anything that they were witnessing in a moment in these disciples. There was something from God, something that only He could do. And this is what our lives ought to be, New Hope. We are not, or we are now, the only Bible that our generation is ever going to read. People aren't just home reading the Bible. We are the Bible to them, living out Scripture in our everyday life. Pretty soon there's probably going to be Bibles taken away out of hotel rooms, so even those Gideon stories that we hear won't exist, because they'll get rid of those. That day is coming. So we are the only Bible that maybe people are going to read. People aren't going to be allowed to pray at public events. But there is one thing that this society cannot do, which is take the testimony of the living God out of his 
temple. So obviously we need to be a reason for hope. And if you go to 1 Peter 3.15, just as we saw in Psalms, we are entering a season in this world. Mountains are going to shake. Wars are going to be happening. Like the Bible says, seas will roar. Societies are going to be troubled and difficulty will be on every side. And 1 Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. I hope that people are asking you about your hope. I've been in situations where people would look at me and say, how can you not be absolutely miserable and angry and vindictive towards the people that have treated you this way? I've never been miserable because I have a joy that isn't temporary. It runs deep in my soul and in my veins and in my blood. God has changed me and it's not dictated by circumstance. Happiness does that. Happiness fluctuates. It's surfacy. It's controlled by situations. But joy is deep. I endure because of even more joy that is set before me. So please understand, and I'm, I don't, I know it's early, but that's that simple. Can we shut some lights off? Can we put a video up with some, with some music? Can we spend some time praying tonight, 10 minutes at the altar? And then we have an awesome opportunity to start yet another week and to give people hope. So listen, the nations will rage. There will be fear on every side. But for the people of God, you and I, there will be quiet confidence in our hearts. We'll have to go through the same storms as everybody else. If they have chosen to truly let God be Lord of your life, people are going to come to you and they will say, tell me the reason why you have so much hope in your speech, why there is such light in your eyes, such kindness in your voice. That's our testimony, is to offer hope to the people around us in the days ahead. But in order to have this testimony, we must learn to be still, to admit defeat, to put our hands down and take the gloves off, and know that He is God, that His strength is made perfect in our weakness. It's time to now let down these things and to surrender our attempts and our efforts and our struggles and our trials, our past, present, and future. The Lord desires to come in and to dwell in the center of His temple. We have to allow Him to bring His master craftsman, this is the altar call. God, I want your master craftsman, the Holy Spirit, to do a glorious work within me that your name might be honored. And we remember that Solomon's temple, when it was complete, the glory of God came so powerfully that nobody could stand in his presence. Every argument failed, all human effort failed or died, for a holy God had come into the temple. What a beautiful reminder tonight that we have that we do not need to continue to make promises to the Lord, but rather live by His promises and become, as the Apostle Peter said, partakers of the divine life of God in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for that word. The altars are open. Please come and pray.